Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and today I, my special guest is Sammy Berger. She's the Vice President of Marketing at Yuru Sports. If you remember Yuru, the year, their incredible leader, Ainsley McAllister, joined me on a few episodes ago to explain a little bit about Yuru and what they're doing and how they're doing it. And it was really fun to have Sammy on, obviously to talk about her, her story and the other places that she's been and all those other stops that she's made, but also how they're really, we kind of got to dive a little deeper into the actual marketing of the product and what they're doing and how they're doing it. So very, very grateful that Sammy had the opportunity to come hang out with me while we're all a little quarantined right now. She was a walk-on, a Division One walk-on uh, for volleyball at the University of Denver. So it's pretty impressive what she was capable of doing and how she was capable of doing. She's very humble, too, which we appreciate. So hope you guys enjoy this episode with Sammy Berger. And roll. All right. Today, my special guest, Sammy Berger, VP of Marketing at Yuru Sports, walk-on Division One volleyball athlete at University of Denver. Walk-on. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. It was fun. It was good. I honestly had no idea what I was getting myself into. I kind of laughed that I've always been more nerd than jock. So that was kind of a perfect fit. I was going to University of Denver, DU anyways, and then decided, you know, let me take a look at it. Let me see the team. And actually, uh, my dad sent, I had one film video and my dad actually sent it to the coach. I had no idea he did it. And then the coach emailed me back being like, yeah, she's too short to play front row, but may we can maybe use someone for back row. Heck and yeah. Worked perfectly. Yeah. That is cool. I mean, I was, that's one of my questions I have down here. I mean, like, that's so cool. Like you don't so I know you're being very humble, but you don't like accidentally walk onto a division one school. Like that's not quite how it works. Like clearly you had some sort of skill level. Yeah. You might've been a nerd a little bit, but you don't just accidentally <laughs> get onto a division one school. No, I had a really, really, so I'm from Omaha, Nebraska and volleyball is really big there. And I had a really, really good club team and all the girls there. I mean, they all went to the Nebraska's Kansas, you know, Georgia, Creighton, everyone kind of went to a division one school mm -hmm. mainly and everyone was recruited. I didn't necessarily want to go through the recruiting process. I didn't necessarily want to even play in college. And then, you know, but I still really loved and enjoyed the sport so much and all my friends, my community, my network was through that. So I was really excited to keep playing. And then once I actually knew which school I wanted to go to from a business school standpoint, I was like, okay, let's check it out. And the coaches and the team were amazing. And it's one of those things that you dive into, you know, as I, mentioned how my dad sent the film and I ended up walking on I had one visit and I didn't even get really to meet any of the girls ahead of time we saw them in the weight room once and then my next time was reporting day for camp and to get started on like two a days three a days so I really had no idea what I was getting myself into had no clue what things were going to look like I was insanely nervous but it Thrown worked out right. yeah it worked out great yeah I mean you're clearly thrown right into the fire on that one but um I mean, why not, right? It's more fun that yeah. way. Put your feet to the exactly. fire, see what you're made of. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's for sure what it was. And it was kind of rapid fire. You all report early and it's just you and the team like hanging out in a sorority house for the summer while you go through training at the beginning. So, oh, goodness, a bunch of 18 and yeah. 19 and 20 year old girls, 20, mm-hmm. 18, 19, 20 year old people. That just sounds awful. Um, yeah, but hey, yeah. you made it through. You're stronger you for it, right? Through. It was a blast. It was so fun. And they're all, I mean, everyone's still my best friend. They, they did a really good job recruiting for personality when I was there. So, you know, everyone got along and there were no like, drama issues, which is also rare in the world of sports. So. Yes, sports in general. Um, that's incredible. But Sammy, first question I'm supposed to ask everybody. Sometimes we get off on little tangents like that. But why do you love sports so much? Oh, that is a great question to start off Thank with. you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I have always grown up around sports. Honestly, my first word was even ball. Like I just always be out kicking soccer balls, hitting baseballs, played t-ball, you know, going through everything. I think it's just so integrated at a young age for me with having an older brother who is really athletic and just being in the world of sports at a young age. That was immediately, you know, you grow up on teams, you grow up with communities. That's how neighborhood kids get together for block parties and you're throwing around footballs. You know, that's so integrated into what my growing up process was. And then ultimately finding a competitive sport. You know, I just, I love it. I, there are very few things I like to say that I actually love. And even after playing volleyball for, I don't know, 12 some years, I'm still in adult leagues out here in Denver. And on Mondays and Tuesdays, I have to play my fours and I genuinely get so amped after it's just the excitement and it's a sport and it's, I don't know, there's something to it that is just insanely enjoyable from the community aspect, from the social aspect, and then the actual playing I really enjoy. So all of it kind of, it's like a, one, two, three punch. Yeah. And I think we're going to, we're going to um, get back to the community and the playing and all those aspects uh, with what you're doing now. But I, I totally agree. Plus it's volleyball, right? Like I, I say this every time I speak with a volleyball player, I no joke, my friends and I get together and we'll play volleyball for like a solid four straight hours. Oh yeah. It's like, it's, it's a hard game. Don't get me wrong, but it's really mm-hmm. easy to just kind of it, uh, it was really funny. I actually had a volleyball coach on here and he's like, honestly, it's like just a competitive game of keep the balloon off the ground. And when oh, you think yeah. about it like that, it's just a blast. <laughs> it is. It is. And it, we, it's kind of strange because it's not a game kids play at recess. You know, yeah. it's not something that's mm-hmm. always taught at a young age, but it's one of those things that everyone loves playing in the summer or you go to a beach and everybody's playing sand volleyball and whatever level it is, people love it. And even when the Olympics pop up, it's one of the most watched sports and people get really behind it, whether they've played or not. So there's something, there's something to volleyball in particular. It is. We love it so much. Also, you can drink beer and play volleyball too. Oh, so that part's pretty yeah. great. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully summer comes a little bit quicker now and we can, we yeah. can get to that. And I guess, so when did you, when did you start playing volleyball? As you said, like, it's not something you really learn at such a young age. Is it something you just kind of jumped into? Yeah, actually thinking about that, I, my friend dragged me into my first league. It was a YMCA league, I think in fifth grade. And I had no idea about the sport and our team name were the tough cookies. So oh. there's some perspective for you on how competitive <laughs> we were. Didn't get to choose the name, but you know, it was, it was a good rec league and I kind of enjoyed it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Whatever. And then as I got a little bit older into middle school, I was like, all right, let me try, let me try the club level of this. And I tried out and I didn't make the first two clubs I tried out for because I'd never played before. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know the skills, all the girls know each other. Sports can always be a little bit political, um, even at a young age, which is a mm-hmm. whole nother topic in itself. But 
I think not making those first two teams, I mean, I was crushed. I grew up being athletic and excited and motivated and wanting to win and then not making a team like, oh no, this is not very fun. Finally got on a team. I think I was 11. I think I was 11. So Mm -hmm. I was playing in 12s on that year. And that, you know, it was a good intro year. They broke down the game. Very first practice was all right, you're going to need knee pads. There are six people on a side. You can't touch the net. You know, it was very rudimental skills, which I was very grateful for, even at a, at a very competitive level that clubs usually get to. Um, not nearly the level it is now, but when I was playing on 12s, it was good to have that rundown on actually how you play and how you rotate and what the rules are of the game. Yeah, I think my friends and I could actually use a masterclass in that too. Uh, we don't follow all the rules, but again, you know, after three hours of playing and drinking a couple beers, it's whatever, man. We're just yeah. here to have fun. You're keeping um, the balloon off the ground. Exactly. We're keeping uh-huh. the balloon off the ground. Um, so with with that, I guess, I mean, now volleyball is one of the most played sports for girls in the country, right? If I'm not mistaken, it's like it just overtook basketball or soccer, something like that. I don't know the statistics exactly, but I would not be surprised. Yeah. And there are a couple programs, you know, it's very rare even when women's programs make money for a school. And there, I know, are a few volleyball programs that actually bring in money for yeah. universities. So I think it's, it's growing. It's really popular. A lot of people are playing it. The, com- the competitive level has grown insanely. You know, stuff that I was doing when we were in 15s, now people are doing at 12s. And, wow. you know, recruiting starts earlier and that competitive level of it, I think is a little bit different, but yeah, no, it's really picked off the ground and there's a lot more national tournaments and different leagues than there was even when I was playing. That's awesome. And yeah, it's, it's so weird to me how there isn't like a volleyball league here in the United States, but then you go overseas and like, just in like Italy, like some of those girls are pulling like a million dollars a year in like, it's, it's very impressive how big this sport is around the world. And that happens with a bunch of things. You know, obviously I had Ainsley on and she was telling me like, yeah, field hockey is actually like the third biggest sport in the world. We just don't care about it here in the United Mm -hmm. States. And it's just, it's crazy (laughs) to me. And that's why I really like what you guys are doing over there at Uru. And I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities. Um, So to your story some more. So you humbly walk on to a division one uh, school accidentally, whatever you want to say, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of <laughs> bypass that part. What, um, you know, so you almost made the decision not to play volleyball in college. It sounds like then you did, obviously something pulled you back in. What was it like when you finally, you know, I know you said you're in some rec leagues now, but like, what was it like when you were finally like, all right, like this is, this is it. I'm, I'm done with, you know, this high, the highest possible level of competition. Yeah. And Truthfully, you know, I, I didn't even play all four years. I ended up making, I did freshman, sophomore, and junior seasons. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, you know, as I was kind of getting to that burnt out stage, as a lot of athletes do, because it's your life, you know, you have a 35 hour work week on top of education, you know, and it's, it was a lot for me. And I, I finally made the decision that I was no longer happy. And being a walk on, I luckily had the flexibility of having academic scholarships. So it didn't mm-hmm. financially impact my decision to stay at DU. So I ended up stopping early and then made the decision to study abroad in the fall during everybody's senior season or what would have been my senior season. So then I decided to study abroad and get, which was a dream of mine for a long time, but to get more of a global exposure. And what I didn't know at the time, but you know, looking back, I could figure that out. It gave me a little bit of extra time to settle in with the feeling that I was done with athletics and it gave me friends outside of the athletic realm. It gave me international exposure, you know, 
kind of that realization that, okay, I've been in my bubble of this collegiate sport. Now I'm outside. Now I can see what's going on. I can have a little bit more of an educated decision on what my next move will be because I have a whole extra curricular year, you mm-hmm. know, or academic year um, to make that decision, which helped me a lot because I know a lot of athletes, that's a big struggle point. And that's one of the huge benefit of URU is to give people extra time or extra decisions and not lock them into one thing specifically when they're completely done playing sports. Um, but I, I found that for me just in a different route and that yeah. I, I liked, I think I was able to finally come to terms with it. Um, I didn't for, I took a couple years off of volleyball and that, cause I didn't like the sport. I just wasn't honestly intimidated by rec leagues. I thought I couldn't stand up cause it's really competitive and I'd been at a, such a competitive level. I'm like, Oh man, I don't know what these rec leagues have. I can't do that yet. I need to, I need to regroup a little bit. So I, I luckily had some time to figure out which direction I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so many people understand, like if you're not going pro sometime, like it's kind of okay to, as you said, take that extra year. Cause you've been in this bubble. You've done this sport for, since, as you said, you were in like fifth grade, that's a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. And now some people do struggle with kind of coming to the end, but sometimes it's also nice to end on your terms, right? Like if you, your senior season, it's over. You're just like, Oh, but what's going on? Like, at least you had that, you know, foresight of, I kind of, you know, I love this sport, but a little burnt out and I kind of want to, there's some other things and you only get four years of college. I kind of want to use one of them kind of to myself a little bit. I don't think that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's far from selfish. I think that's actually selfless because you can find out how you can help other people even more. Right. Yeah. And figuring out, you know, what you want to go into professionally. You know, I had my plan going into school. Okay. I'm going to go into international business. I'm going to minor in Spanish and legal studies. I'm going to become an international business lawyer. That's my plan. This is it. I'm so excited. And then probably, you know, halfway through, even to junior year, I'm like, I don't really want to go to law school. I don't, I don't see that for me yet. You know, I've seen other people and my brother went through it. I don't, I don't necessarily want to go through that yet, or it maybe even at all, but that didn't change my major. That didn't affect everything. So at the end of it, you're like, what do I even want to do? What is that? What is professionally? What is my next step? What does my career path look like? You know, and that, that's a lot of things that athletes find. I think when they're right after they're done, you know, and you is really beneficial to help okay, you know, I'm not done playing. I don't feel that way. For me, I was done playing. And that was nice to be able to end on my own terms. But a lot of people and even girls I played with in volleyball, they're like, I want to keep going. How do I keep doing that? And it's that realization, whether you're going into professional business or continuing your professional sports career, you know, having that confidence and knowing all of your options, that was really helpful, or that would be really helpful. How did you determine those next steps, though? Because there's so many different options right like how do you kind of i mean i'm sure it's not darts on a dartboard um you know but like how how do you even go about determining those next steps with so many different options at, at your fingertips yeah it was tough and sometimes you know i still am like is this the right decision but you know as you you figure it out as you go along but i definitely know as i had that extra time like okay what have i been passionate about which classes which projects which things do i really get excited about and for me it was I would leave a lot of group projects in marketing classes really excited and really jazzed and really motivated to do a lot with that. And that creative aspect, bringing in the data and the analytics to make you know, business decisions and campaign decisions, that's what I was excited about. And that branding side, I think my, I had like a class from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Mondays in college, which is you know, a late class, but I would leave just completely excited and jet. Like I would take a lap, like a walk around the block. I was so excited. Like I needed to wind down because it was really, there was just something I was really passionate about. And so I think 
taking that path and knowing, okay, this is something that I want to explore further. And then at University of Denver, we had the opportunity to do um, a four plus one MBA. So I was able to do a one year MBA and I was keeping the same scholarship and kind of timeline of undergrad. So I was like, okay, let me, let me go through this. Let me further education a little bit more and focus on marketing, focus on the things I've been passionate about. And then let's see maybe within that, if there's a particular branch I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it had to have, I mean, you've, done a lot with marketing and analytics. I think it's really interesting. And, and as you came out of Denver, um, there was a couple different, uh, I saw construction, I wrote down a construction, <laughs> a winery and an agency. So you've kind of been in a, a few different places uh, with marketing and analytics. I mean, was it, you know, was it just, hey, this is a great job, let's take it and see what we can learn? Like, how did those first couple uh, stops along your professional career go? Yeah, well, all of it truthfully has been kind of to figure out which side of that creative and analytical spectrum mm -hmm. I fall on. Um, and that's always, you know, we talk about the balance, you know, nerd versus jock, analytical versus creative. I've always fallen right in the middle of both. Um, and so the, the role of the construction company, you know, that's started off internship, I started answering phones, moved that into, you know, creating deliverables and figuring out what marketing flow works mixed with filing RFP work, you know, so you get into nitty gritty operations and that creative material creation mm -hmm. and to help companies grow at large. And that's kind of been the story from place to place. You know, it's okay from an operational standpoint, how do we make this company grow from the data we've collected or what data do we need to collect in order to grow? And then how do we do that in a strategic way? And a lot of that being in a marketing focused. So after I jumped from a construction company to a winery, the winery, I definitely worked on more like Google Analytics and figuring out web analytics. I'd done some, you know, website development for the, for the construction uh, company, but really wanted to continue that marketing, that creative, plus the analytical side. So diving into, okay, what are people from a now a C product versus before you're working directly with either government contracting or B2B work? What does it look like B2C? How does that experience change what we need to message the consumer or, you know, what content we should be showcasing on social media. How, and that, you know, oh, go ahead. how much more fun was working at a winery than a construction <laughs> company? I gotta be honest. I loved both. I, they're both very fun and creative and they both, you know, one is a little bit, the construction company is obviously bigger than a startup winery here in Denver, but it was both have great, really nice perks. We'll go with that. It was perfect. very fun. You I'll ask you when we're not recording. How's that sound? <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and then, so I guess with, with that, I mean, like just kind of, was that a explicit decision that you made saying like, okay, like this is, this is great. I learned a lot on the B2B side. Now I kind of want to get the experience on the B2C side, or was it just kind of something that, that popped up? You're like, Hey, this would be cool. Let's kind of learn that. Was it, was it a very like, okay, I learned a lot over here. Now I want to see what it's like over here. Honestly, it was, I would say it was more of tailored. So during my graduate program, getting the MBA in marketing, that I feel like for me, when you understand the world of marketing, it's very creative. Sometimes in undergrad, it can go very fluffy or a lot of people consider it to be a very fluffy role where it's more of creation, you know, creation and ideation, less execution. And the thing that really powered me is, okay, I want to beef this up. How do I make it really impactful? And that was from the data side. And that was understanding what that looks like. Um, so that's kind of why I moved more to the B2C role or just more to the op that opportunity, I'd say, just because it had more 
opportunity to go into the data and to make sure that what I'm doing is backed by numbers. And moving on, you know, after I finished my graduate program, that's when I found the agency, which is a market research agency. And that's when it's like, okay, you're in nitty gritty primary research. You're working with panelists. You know, you have consumer insights. All of that data, that's going to back it up and beef up any any marketing side. And having that exposure to the research realm was exactly what I wanted to be able to take that and run with, you know, whatever opportunity or whatever the next step was in my career path. And what did you learn from all three of these uh, different stops, especially the agency stop, because that way you're working with multiple clients, multiple companies at that point. What did Mm -hmm. you learn that you were able to kind of take and say, all right, I can utilize something from here. I can take this that I got from this winery, not just a couple bottles. I can go to this agency and say, I've worked with company X, Y, and Z, and these are all the different things that they look at. What were you able to, you know, across the board, find out about this industry that you're like, all right, this is definitely something I want to do continuing moving forward. Yeah, I would say it was two parts in a way. So the first is understanding priority. Um, and that's been huge with implementing with Yuru. You know, you have a lot going on in the global sports world, but understanding, okay, what are our priorities? What's the community's priorities? What are some of our partners' priorities? Being able to sort through that and understand, okay, what do we need to, what's tier one? What do we need to work on here? What do we need to, you know, schedule out for later in the year? What needs to be a, a 2021 project? Um, really figuring out that, I think, you know, I got exposure to that from working with all the different clients and research and with a B2C winery versus a construction company, you know, like understanding each industry has different priorities and each level, each company has different priorities. So understanding that I think has been really big to take with me to Yuru and understanding that that's what we need to really hone in, especially as a startup, you know, you mm-hmm. have a lot of business decisions to make. And so to understand which ones are the important ones I think has been the biggest takeaway. Mm -hmm. And then the second prong is being able to create a feedback loop. Um, So to understand, you know, after all that you've done, where did things potentially fall short? What did anything fall through the cracks? Um, You know, what went really well? What should we emulate for next time? What should we see differently here? You know, getting both quantitative and qualitative data, which is what I worked with in the research world, understanding that and applying that, to Yuru has also been big because we want to we want to have a good pulse on our customers and our clients and our partners or sponsors whatever it may be we really want to understand okay are we providing the best service possible what are your pain points how can we you know fix that for the future I love it that is mm-hmm. pretty cool and now yeah let's talk about what you do you're the vice president of marketing at Yuru Sports um, I had the incredible founder and CEO of your company. Ainsley McAllister on. Uh, she's a few episodes back. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but definitely check out her episode. Everybody else listening. I'm sure Sam is listening to it a hundred times at this point, but um, I have, I love it. And definitely check it out. Cause she had some really, really cool insights. And now I'm excited to get to talk to you about it as well. And kind of on specifically on the marketing aspect, obviously when I spoke with Ainsley, it was kind of the, the overall, like, how are we doing things? Why are we doing things? And obviously I want to get into that with you as well, but excited to get into the marketing side of it. So Again, so that that you kind of answered my question. The next one was going to be, what did you learn and how are you going to utilize it with, with Yuru? But I'm pretty sure you kind of answered all that already. So I don't really need to go over that again. <laughs> but what was it about this company that you said, okay, this is, this is what I want to do moving forward. You're at an agency, you're at a winery, construction. Now you're in a completely different industry again. Um, mm-hmm. What was it about Yuru or what was it about sports that really kind of brought you back in? 
Yeah, well, truthfully, I had met Ainsley a few years back through, you know, mutual connections. And she told me what she did and that she ran the sports tech company and she was founder. And, you know, seeing a young female founder, one was automatically like, oh, okay, this is cool. What are you doing? Very cool. Yeah. And then following up with that, you know, hearing it about sports. And yes, I've been in the sports world for a while. So that was also kind of in the back of my head. And as a couple of years went by, you know, it randomly pop up in my head. I'm like, oh, I wonder how that's doing. And I'd shoot her a text or we'd kind of stay in contact or go grab coffee. And then when I was looking for my next opportunity, I was really thinking, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to dive into? You know, I have this research background. I have these, you know, quantitative, qualitative skills mm-hmm. now. How do I want to apply this moving forward? And that just kept popping up in my head. I'm like, this is cool. This idea this is going to go somewhere, you know, whether it's us or not, obviously we want it to be us, but this is going to exist. And I think Ains even said that on her podcast, but we talk about it a lot. It's like, this is so needed, whether it's field hockey or volleyball or basketball or soccer or rugby or any of these sports that have been asking us to go into their sport next. Um, I think that part has been huge. And I think seeing this, this startup being something that could be massive and really is a need for the community and disruptive, you know, a good buzzword there, but to be a disruptive thing in the sports recruiting world, I think for me, that was ended up being a no brainer. I'm like, okay, this is something I want to exist. This is something I know youth players and it has so much room to grow. Let's give this a try. Let's see how we can, we can make this grow. And you even said earlier, uh, you were talking about it, you know, while you were at Denver. Um, is it DU or University of? DU. DU. Okay. Yep. While you're at DU, you know, you even said like some of the, you kind of wish some of this you, you had you grew when you were there just so you could have learned because as you were talking about, you know, you wanted to go international, you wanted to do these things. Well, if you knew that there was an opportunity to go play your sport, be somewhere else, learn about that culture, and still potentially get one of these internships or still potentially get something out of it from a, a life perspective as well, I'm sure that's something you would have kind of considered or, or thought of a little bit deeper, right? Oh, yeah. I think having that opportunity, there are amazing schools overseas for either graduate degrees or even collegiate programs, or they do gap years. And, you know, I've learned a lot in the field hockey world, but to dive into, you know, the volleyball side that I know just from word of mouth, there's so many opportunities in schools that people just don't know about. And to get overseas or to find different opportunities, whether it's an off-season opportunity and you just want to learn more or you want to go play with some other people from around the world, you know, that's that's not known right now and there's no way to know that. And so I think having a platform like this in the volleyball realm even would be huge. I love and it. Yeah. And I know you mentioned how Enzo was saying, you know, field hockey it is the third most popular sport in the world. And that, that to me blew my mind because before yeah. this, I had no idea what field hockey was. I'm like, what is this? I didn't know <laughs> field hockey was a sport pretty much until I made it to high school. <laughs> and my girlfriend's like, you have to come watch me at a field hockey game. And I was like, all right, sure. Sounds good. Um, okay. It's yeah. kind of cool. Like I, not, not for me, obviously, whatever. I mean, I, I work in the Olympic space, so I've met a lot of men and women that do the, uh, you know, are in field hockey and it's incredible. Anything played at the highest level, I'm going to watch it because it's just the talent, the expertise, even if I don't really know what's going on, you could still see there's some cool stuff going on. Um, but mm-hmm. let, let's take a step back for a second, just for anybody who, for whatever reason, didn't listen to Ainsley's episode already. I don't know what they're doing, but if you don't mind giving us, you know, that, that elevator pitch of exactly what Yuru is, so that way we can kind of have a little bit of a deeper conversation on it and people can understand what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So Yuru Sports is an online community platform. It really connects, you know, athletes, coaches, and teams worldwide. So we've, we've positioned it more of like a LinkedIn meets Glassdoor for sports. 
So people can go on, they can make a profile, they can see other athletes, follow other teams, really learn what it's like to play their sport worldwide. So, you know, we, you can track your own experience, you can inspire others, you can really learn what it's like globally, because there is that global disconnect of information and you, it is a lot of word of mouth right now. So leveraging everybody's community and network to have it all on one spot on one app, I think has been our main focus to really build that community. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, you know, there, it is a recruiting platform as well. So teams are looking for players, players are looking for opportunities. This is on a global scale and they can find and even apply for new roles to play on uh, worldwide. I love it. I think it is such a cool, it, again, I'm sure I said this in Aze's episode too, but you know, when you hear something, you're like, what do you mean that doesn't exist already? <laughs> how, like, how does that possibly not exist with the internet, with sports being global, you know, as we were talking about that community aspect and, you know, the opportunity to play something that you love, get paid to do the thing you did when you were in fifth grade, right? Like that is mm-hmm. just the coolest opportunity. If someone told me, and I was capable of it, that I could play baseball in Europe for like a year and a half, two years for fun and get to immerse myself in another culture. Like who says no to that? Right. Like I know I'm not going to go professional and play in the MLB, which would have been pretty awesome. But (laughs) at the same time, it would have been kind of cool. Two years isn't the end of the world. Like you can do it even for one year. I know a lot of people that just go professional one year and they, they can do that. So knowing that this platform now exists and people can take advantage of it, but they, I guess this platform exists and people can take advantage of it. But how are you personally as the vice president of marketing, making it more aware and making people understand a exactly what it is and b again that it actually exists and you know you and i can take advantage of it yeah absolutely and one of the biggest things i think is really honing in on our customer success stories so you know we have great metrics as a startup we have thousands of people on our app we've placed nearly 300 people worldwide i mean 300 that's a lot of people that's a lot of people to bring in you know, to different opportunities, whether it's, you know, bringing someone from Australia into the U.S. collegiate system or bringing someone who wanted to just go play for a gap year before they started college and they wanted to go play in the top league in Holland, you know, whatever it might be. I think for me, communicating that out to people, the word of mouth, you know, it is a community and it is relationship based still. So we need to, you know, not only respect that as we're disrupting it in a way, you know, you want to build that community and make people connect still. Um, so really sharing the success stories of others and saying, okay, this is what we can do. You can see that we, we've placed this person who now is on you know, the Japanese national team going to the Olympics. Like This is something that can be beneficial to not only improve your game, but to have fun and to travel the world while you're doing it. So to try to communicate that out. Um, you know, as a marketer in sports, you kind of think, oh, it's sports. People love sports. It'll be really easy to market. But you know, we want to do it in the best way to promote yeah, this is the value add that this community can provide. It's really, it's beneficial for people Mm -hmm. to really learn at any age. You know, we can have 15 year olds posting on our website of, hey, I did this drill is a really good challenge. That's going to inspire everybody at their same age level, a little bit older, say, oh yeah, they're down the great path or younger kids. Oh, wow, I could be there. You know, I think that that viral growth on that standpoint could be huge. Yeah, and and just getting the younger girls and guys to understand what the opportunities are worldwide again like if you told a 15 year old Mm -hmm. hey man like yeah you're probably not going to play in the mlb but there's so many opportunities all over the world for you to possibly take advantage of get immersed in other cultures and do all these other things 
and having that community aspect, as we talked about before, it's one of your favorite things about sports, right? That's why I always love asking that question because we mm-hmm. can come back to it and understand like there is like sports is a global community and there's these sports, you know, like, like field hockey, like volleyball, where, you know, maybe they're not huge here in the United States. There's absolutely a collegiate system and the, there's a lot going on there. We have Olympic teams and they're, they're pretty darn good at it. But then when you look overseas and you see how these teams work and, and there's the opportunities to meet other people and do other things. And, you know, it was really cool when I was talking to Ainsley that, you know, and when she first wanted to go, it was like, I want to get, I want to be the best at field hockey. And I want to like get paid to do it. And then as she said, like over the couple of years she was around, she was like, well, actually like, I still want to do that, of course, but I kind of want to take advantage of the opportunity to live in all these different cities around the world and get immersed in these cultures and do all these things. You're only 20 something once, man, take advantage of it. Right. <laughs> so she was able to kind of see over those, you know, that two, three year period of how, you could like sports, you can help sports, but sports can also help you significantly. And you can go around and do all these other things. So I think that in itself, the the virality of what you guys are doing, not only to get kids to continue to play and continue to exceed and do the best that they can, the fact that now they can learn like, okay, if I do better, there's an opportunity for me somewhere else in the world, potentially. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I mean, when you, when you look at it, obviously Ainsley was top tier and all American, you know, goes and plays really great professional hockey, but to see even players that might not be at that fully elite level or have not been named captain, you know, that second tier, third tier, fourth tier, you know, they're, they're still crazy great opportunities for you, whether it's to go overseas and you want to go overseas and play and coach, or if you want to have an internship or a job while you play on the side, you know, they're, so many of those opportunities that we've placed a lot of people in and that awareness level, as we've been mentioning, you know, it's just not known, but that's things we aim to provide and aim to give to our communities. Yeah. No, it doesn't matter. You can either, you can try to be the best in your sport and try to make the national team. We understand there's, you know, small percentage of people go to professional levels. The statistics are out there, but to be able to have more growth in your game and your, know in your cultural awareness whatever it might be it's available for you you know you can go and play and have an internship on the side or play a couple times a week that's something we've completely dealt with and it's exciting I really like that connectivity of the world you know as cheesy as it is our tagline is no borders just sports and that's exactly what we aim to do is to connect it worldwide and just it's sports it's available to everybody it's accessible it's fun you know at the end of the day I don't think it's super cheesy. I think it's pretty, I mean, it's true though. That's the thing. Like as long yeah. as it's on, like as long as you're not like going way over the top about it. Um, no, mm-hmm. I think it is true there. You can literally play in China or you can play in Australia or you can play in England. Um, like why not? Like what yeah. the heck you got a passport, figure it out. Like it's not that yeah. big a deal. Like go do your thing. And you know, obviously I'm sure there's some laws to these countries and how that works. And I'm not going to get into that side of it, but you know, I think it, it's just so cool that you guys have this opportunity. And, and, and so, as you said, you know, you're really trying to hone in on the success stories, you know, at 300 people placing 300 people is amazing. You know, that opportunity, just knowing you had a hand in changing potentially 300 people's lives is amazing. Are you really focused on, like a lot of testimonials is a lot of word of mouth. Is it, you know, a lot of Facebook and Instagram advertising? You don't have to give us all the secret sauce, but again, just from your perspective that, that the, the research behind it, what have you seen in those numbers behind it, the analytics, what have you seen has so far been working the best? Great question. I would say Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. The main tool we've been using, at least from an outward to reach the audience standpoint has been Instagram. Um, you know, that's where, 
our age demographic is. It's where a lot of sports kind of gears, you know, they gear towards Twitter and Instagram versus Facebook. Um, so we have targeted a lot on that as far as ads and test more of just testimonials and getting the word out. Um, a lot of it is the content we produce. You know, we, there are a lot of pages out there that post really cool, you know, swaggy videos and that's great. And we love seeing those and we even reshare some, you know, but we also like to provide value with everything we do. So we want to provide, you know, if we post a photo of a really cool shot, be like, oh, this is a really cool shot done by this club. This club is in this location with these specific facts. You know, it's upping that value add for the, for the consumer, for the user, whoever's coming on, they're getting a little bit out of it to almost subliminally understand the global world of sports or hockey or whatever it might be. They have a little bit more of an insight into that knowledge and into those you know, honestly, the inside scoops that a lot of people don't know. So having that, that expertise as a company and being able to help share that with people, that's been the big approach that we've taken to get the word out. And that's been done through, you know, success stories, um, country insight, club insight, um, performance insight, recruiting, you know, position opportunities on our site, whatever that might be. Those are kind of the things that we've really wanted to hit and think that that'll be the most valuable for our community. And that makes sense. Again, just teaching and educating, right? That's what most, you know, as funny, you know, as, as analytical as we can get about marketing, what's the number one thing, be authentic, <laughs> be genuine, and just give value to people. Um, you know, obviously there's numbers behind it and how the best to do that is, but those are, you know, I went to school for marketing and that's pretty much all I took out of it. It's like, be like a real person and people will probably take you seriously. Right. Um, so it's just in, Oh yeah. No, I was just going to say the same thing. I was like, yeah, the authenticity of it is big and that's, you know, you, you don't want to be corporate and that's not, you know, the vibe of our company or even our, you know, our team. It's just, it's very real. It's very, it's very mission-based and it's very, we want to help people and we want that to be communicated out well and we want it to be authentic and meaningful as exactly as we intend it. So being able to put the messaging and the format behind that has been my job. Well, you're killing it. Let's, let's keep it going, Sammy. And then, so with, you know, it's, it's so funny to me, like, you know, an application to download an application is like the easiest thing in the world. You click like two buttons, but to actually get people to download the application and then to actually get people to use it, stay on it. And then, you know, actually be within that community. How, how has that process been going? And, you know, obviously you haven't, I don't think you've been with the company since the very beginning, but knowing what you're doing now, like, how, how have you been able to get, okay, so we got the word out. People know who we are. Now, how do we get them to download the app? And then how do we get them to be and stay and, and engage within the app itself? Yeah, so being engaged in the app itself, we've had a lot of different pivots. Obviously, you know, we're a startup. We've been in our beta year for a little bit, um, trying to produce proof of concept, which has definitely proven itself through our recruiting models. But getting people engaged in the app we have a wonderful group of brand ambassadors. So this is our, we call them our Yuru A team, our ambassador team. And they are from 10 different countries. We have about 20 of them. You know, they have all this different global experience. Some are former Olympians, some just play in great leagues. Some went and got degrees or education and masters while playing their sport. So we have a great blend of people to help post in the app. And right now, you know, they're in the current global situation, a lot is moving online. A lot is transitioning to just be online and to provide value adds for people who may no longer have access to coaching in clubs. So that's been one of the big pushes that we want to see engage on the app 
because during different isolation periods, the main thing that remains is the community. It still exists, nothing's changed. It's a little bit harder to access, but it's not when you use Yuru, you know, and that's the big value add we have is, yeah, you wanna know what someone in Argentina is doing on their Wednesday for their fitness training? We have that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, we have a lot of that information of people sharing and tracking their journey and really trying to inspire others. And then honestly, straight up, just learn from other people. And that's, that's the value add that we do. And we keep promoting and keep pushing more content and the valuable aspects that people want to see on the app is really what's going to boost that user retention and then making sure that it's, it's accessible and that people know what's coming on. So whether that's post teasing on social to get to the app being, Hey, we have this really cool video coming out from a Japanese national team player, you know, or we have like the three steps you must know when you're doing this drag flick trick, you know, whatever it might be. Um, we want to make it really available to people on the app and for mm-hmm. them to share it amongst themselves. Exactly. And yeah, just get them. We have to get them there first. Um, and then I know, I think I asked this question to, to Ainsley as well, but again, from your perspective, how do you then market to the teams and the coaches? So, right. Like, is it a chicken or an egg? Which one came first? Like you need, mm-hmm. you need the users, but you also need the coaches and the teams <laughs> so that they, they can kind of match up. So how do you get them to also come on the app and how do you get them to kind of stay and, and also, you know, engage and actually look into these players and see and answer their questions and that, that, uh, you know, that side of the equation. Yeah. And I, I, this is the part I love about the app as well. You know, it really is a two-sided marketplace, like even an Airbnb, you know, people wanting to find a house and people renting their house. We have people wanting to find teams and teams wanting to find players. So we've lucked out a lot with that being kind of an innate need out of both parties. Um, But from a team side and Ainsley might've mentioned it on hers as well you know, she had great opportunities to go play and she's admitted before she was, I might not have even been the best person for that role. I was just there and someone gave me a referral. So having more of a platform and more of a value add for teams being like, you can go through a recruitment tracker. You can find the best talent. You can watch videos of players around the world. It can now be more of an educated decision on who's you're bringing on the team and how it might be a great fit from a personality perspective and a playing perspective, you can find that. And that's what we want to provide for the teams along with just being another platform for them to showcase themselves. You know, we have some, there's some baller teams out there. We want to get them on the app. We want to showcase the great things they're doing because it's great. That's another form to inspire other players and athletes. So to have them on that to promote themselves and to be a platform where we want to, you know, we want to even highlight them with us on our social and to our community you know we're excited to really be integrated with the club world and with the programs and collegiate you know we're ncaa certified so we're able to have close connections with some of these colleges and Mm -hmm. that's been a blast you know for me that's that's a b2b side that i've had experience on of really understanding okay we want to grow everybody we want you guys to have the best access we want to grow your program and increase the level of the sport worldwide Look at that. You got your B2B, you got your construction, you got your wineries. We're good to go. Let's get it. I love it. We are it. set. And then um, what, what kind of pushback do you normally get from, from either of those, you know, either sides of the equation, whether it's the team saying, oh, we don't want to do this. You know, we have our own recruiting, blah, blah, blah. And, and even from the athletes as well saying, well, I'm going to college or I'm never going to, you know, like how, what, what kind of pushback do you guys normally get? Yeah. Some of the pushback I would say is maybe like, you know, if it's a a top, top tier program and sometimes, you know, they go, Hey, we get 150 emails a day about 
what that looks like or how that playing you know, for athletes wanting to play at our program. You know, we may not need that recruitment side. And for us, that's great. You know, we love seeing top leagues continue mm-hmm. to go up. Obviously, places have their system. We're completely aware and, you know, cognizant of that. We would never, you know, want to change anything if it's working for them. Um, we really just want to be a platform that help connect and help, you know, provide transparent knowledge even from other players and to be a resource, at least from the team side, you know, again, for them to showcase what cool things they are doing or to even announce the great recruit they just got. And, you know, it's wanting to be more of a a connective platform in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's really been the only pushback is yeah. Hey, we maybe don't need your recruiting services. That's completely fine. We understand that. We understand what's going on. We just want to be, you know, we want you involved. We want mm-hmm. people around the world to know your program. We want, exactly. yeah, you know, we want someone who might be, you know, in Denver, Colorado to understand what it's like in Mendoza, you know, <laughs> it's, there's such opportunities that people don't know. And the best thing is to have the club themselves involved. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, from an athlete perspective, to be honest, we haven't had a lot of pushback yet. Um, you know, we're, who knows what will come in the next mm-hmm. few months, but I would say, it's because we have a lot of customizable options and flexibility there, you know, whether they already played a collegiate program. Awesome. What are you doing this summer? Are you coaching camps? Are you trying to make money? Do you want to go play in a gap season? You know, there's just so many unique opportunities out there that we are aware of that we can help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been great. You know, that's been a great thing that we can provide value constantly at whatever stage you might be playing at. So that's what we want to continue to offer and provide even if it's just, Hey, like, what do you think of this club? You know, we want people to really know on the app what it was like playing at certain clubs and programs. You know, that's another side of the business as well to become that more glass door side, you Mm -hmm. know, endorse like this team pays on time or this team provides really good accommodation in an apartment right by the pitch, beautiful view, you know, whatever it might be. That's that information platform is big and yeah everybody has a sports story and it's very relational and very connectivity based. So from an athlete standpoint, we haven't had a ton of pushback. It's more Mm -hmm. of how can we serve you? How can we Mm -hmm. help you? What do you want to learn? What do you want to know? If nothing great, you want to keep track of your journey. You know, I played for three years at division one and sometimes I I can't remember what a practice looked like, you know, like I wish there was more of a method that I had to keep, keep track of what I did and, my accomplishments or my struggles. And maybe that could help someone else going through the same thing, being a walk on or being a different player, you know? So I think there's a lot that goes to the, the tracking, the following, the understanding how that works. That's perfect. And yeah, I think the one, the one, when I asked that question, no, I have a, I always, I kind of like to think I know some of the answers before I ask the questions. I think that's the, <laughs> that that's, that's the trick, right? No, I have no idea how this works, but I was assuming it's more of like a, they don't know what they don't know. So it's more like, you know, the athletes, if there was any pushback, it's, it's because they don't know what they need help with at that point. And again, I think mm-hmm. by, by answering it the way you did, you, you can kind of help them with that. You can explain like, Hey, like, well, what are you trying to do? Do you want to get paid to coach? Like, do you want to go and hang out somewhere for a year and, and, you know, work on your sport, but also get to see what like the countryside in England's like, I hear it's pretty nice. Like go out and enjoy it there. So I think like, that's one of the coolest things that, that you ruin and you know, the team you guys have accomplished is you can help these athletes understand that there, there's like so much more out there. You know, I grew up in this bubble in the suburbs in New Jersey and I've been to New York city a few times and 
it's the best city on earth. I don't care what anyone says, but I've also never been to like 99% of cities on planet earth. So I would like to go to them. It's, it's more, I don't know what I don't know. And you know, there's so many other opportunities that I haven't been able to see that I don't know what Milan is like. I don't know what Rome is like. I don't know what Beijing is like. Maybe I'll like them more. I won't, but maybe I will. You never know. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure that out and helping people along the way and being that resource of, yeah, you may not know what you don't know. Do you want to just make money? It goes back to, you know, understanding your priorities. And that's, it goes back to that. And you're like, how can we help you get there? How exactly? How can we kind of be a servant to you on whatever you want to do? I love it. And I apologize. We might be going a couple minutes over, uh, but I only have like two more questions for you that I think are, are pretty important. So we've been talking a lot about field hockey. Um, what other sports are you and the Uru team getting into? Great question. Yeah. So we are looking to expand into basketball um, by the end of this year was, you know, ideally the timeline. Um, we have had a lot of questions about this and which sport's going to be next, which one, you know, you got to go into soccer, you got to go into football, you got to go into volleyball, whatever it might be. And I think as we've taken a look, we wanted to find, you know, another great global sport, which all of them are, but another one that might be a little underrepresented in certain areas and basketball is huge. You know, there's a lot of people playing it from youth sports all the way up to professional levels it's another one where people go overseas if there aren't opportunities to play in the U.S. Um, that has been kind of a main focus of ours. You know, being a female-ran company, it's also, you know, a great kind of emotional choice for both of us of, yeah, no, this is a sport that a ton of women play. It doesn't get the necessary exposure as most women's sports don't, but that, that's another one where there is some crazy talented athletes wanting to make it in the WNBA or amazing professional leagues where again, they're getting paid over a hundred thousand dollars now, thanks to the the recent negotiations and wanting to dive into that a little bit more and provide services there where that, that market is a lot bigger um, in the U S as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Kind of the same thing. Uh, You know, obviously we have the WNBA and yes, the new CBA, those athletes are getting paid more money, well-deserved, but Mm -hmm. again, you go overseas and you know, like in Russia, some of these girls make like $900,000 a year. Um, which is awesome, but at the same time, they want to play in front of their home fans. So then they come back here and yeah, now they're starting to make six figures, but you know, they have to play almost the entire year because if you're not playing overseas and you're not really making that much money, and then you want to come back here and play in front of, you know, your hometown, your fans, the United States, get a little more exposure. It's a very, it's a broken system. And hopefully you guys uh, and girls over there are able to, uh, to fix that. And you just brought it up. This was my last question. What is it like working for a female leader in sport tech where you know she even said it herself she's not the you know she is the minority in most rooms that she walks into yeah and i've noticed that as well you know coming on board about seven ish months ago um you know i've been able to travel with ainsley and with the team on okay we're going to do this pitch competition in chicago nba all-star weekend and we're going to go out to stanford for their innovation classic and when you look at these the rooms and the speakers and especially the the startups and during the pitch competitions. I mean, we've been the only girl at every one of them or only women at every one of them. And I, I like it. I don't mind it. You know, I think there's obviously a struggle and there's something to be said with that and a little bit more, you know, rah, rah, you can go into, but I think when it comes down to it, it doesn't affect as much. It's more of like, yeah, no, it's, it's a thing. It's something that 
it's not popular for people and their organizations, there's women in tech organizations, and then even take it a step further, women in sports tech is even more niche than just women in tech or women in sports. So I think that's adding another level of the niche that we found ourselves in being female leaders, but it's been fun. And there's been a huge supportive network from both female and men's side, you know, it doesn't matter. There's people who want to help you. And at the end of the, at the end of the day, if the idea is great and it's people are passionate about it, like we are, I think ultimately people want to help you succeed no matter what your gender is. And it's just, it's been fun. It's been a unique, a unique road, whether, you know, just from a startup life in general, it's my first experience with mainly startups. And I think no matter what the gender is, it's been, it's been a very unique wild ride. So I've enjoyed exactly. it quite a bit. Very much so. And I appreciate that, um, that answer. Cause even in the beginning you said, you know, went, what, what kind of like, you know, you tilted your head a little bit. Oh, you're a powerful female leader in sports tech. Let's, <laughs> let's you know, let's, let's kind of file that one away, see what happens. Mm-hmm. And now only a couple of years later, um, you're rocking with the team there. So Sammy, this was incredible. Um, that's about all I have for you. Was there any of the questions I missed? I think, I think we rocked it. Yeah, I think that was wonderful. You asked great questions. And Thank you. Stop. You're too good to me. <laughs> You're too darn good to me. Awesome. Sammy Berger, VP of Marketing at Yuru Sports. Uh, all of her socials and everything will be in the show notes, so everyone check them out there. Sammy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Sammy. As I said, she was so much fun. She was so much fun to talk to. Such a cool person, such a down-to-earth person, but she's also super smart, as you could hear, so that was fun. Please make sure to follow her and Yuru on all their socials. Everything will be in the show notes. Please make sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes or Podcast Addict or Spotify or Anchor, wherever the heck you are. We'd really appreciate any kind of review. It's super helpful to us. So thank you so much for giving me some of your time today. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I hope you make it a wonderful day.